Hey, and welcome to the Blood, Sweat and Ears podcast. I'm Phil Bashford. And I'm Merrick De La Fuente. Recording vocals is a bit of a dark art. Today we're going to be talking about different microphones, signal chains, preamps, and looking at the best bang for buck for home and studio recording. So, yeah, vocals. This is, we're going to have to try and keep this fairly... That's fine. Because you, you, you'll the... be here at three a.m. just chatting on your own. I'll, yeah, I'll be yeah. at home. Just give me some like guardrails. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we, we'll, we'll some baby we'll manage. Yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> so, so I guess the best place to start. Uh, yeah, obviously there's obviously the psychological side of this as well. But you know we're we're going. We're, that's most of it. That is yeah. That's kind of eighty percent right. Nothing else matters. End of the episode. Nice. Cool, done. <laughs> so between us we've had some pretty shocking gear and we've ended up you know you've bought gear off me and i've bought it back and we've been around yeah, you yeah. know and i think we we kind of touched on this in one of the episodes about preamps and you know i upgraded to one that was worse yeah kind of lots of it's multifaceted i guess but what's your gear what are you buying what have you got what do you use so what didn't work i um extremely disinterested in people being fussy about the signal path beyond getting your gain staging right so getting your gain staging right i am all ears and that's super important and really important to getting like a good level and just getting a good signal coming through i don't care if someone's like oh i used a sony c800 whatever that like 14 grand mic is cool sweet i used an sm7b on mine and it's like so my current vocal chain for basically everything apart from like really soft voices sm7b into chandler tg2 and then tickling it with a um dbx 560 which is the uh the 500 series version of the 160x and it's that works for me that's great but if someone was like, you have to record a whole album with an SM58 and a Behringer interface, I'd be like, yeah, sweet. Calm. Let's do it. Yeah. And the proof in the pudding there is I've mixed something recently. I think I've told you about this. Yeah, yeah. We talked about it in the last where one. I, yeah. Where I got like halfway through mixing it and I can't remember why it came up in conversation, but I asked the vocalist of this band, what did you use to, for the vocals? And he was like, oh, I just used my SM58 into a Behringer 30 pound interface. And I thought, wow, okay, nothing matters anymore. Everything else beyond that is just is just yeah. taste. It's just pure taste. What makes you vibe more? What do you enjoy more? Like what what what's your personal preference? And I, I think with the I think with a lot of it, you know, people hear with their eyes, don't they? And we've kind of touched on this before. But a really good example of this exact same thing is uh I sold uh, a fellow I know uh, a golden age pre 73 which i bought back off you which is a neve clone and he'd i've had two things sent to me from him pretty much the same mic the u87 vocal mic and then one of the things he sent to me was on a neve an actual neve pre and then he just sent me saying recently done with the golden age and i thought it sounded better yeah um and it was a different situation. He was in the same room, and so the communication was 
a bit more fluid. There was wasn't that barrier of the glass and talk back and those awkward silences and such. So that might have been a play. Probably but, was. Um, it definitely definitely is a thing. But you know, maybe I, I I've got crap ears, but I can't tell the difference between the clone that's four or five hundred quid compared to the fifteen hundred quid one. I can't tell the difference. I think it's going to be a case of if you took the same vocal take. Like if you had both mics set up, both signal paths set up in front of you, and you compared them directly on the same take, sure, there's differences. Sure, probably the U87 sounds marginally better than a 500 quid condenser. But it doesn't matter because if you've got a really good delivery and a really good performance, no one cares. And there's basically nothing yeah. like unless beyond the mic being broken or something actually being fucked and there being a technical issue, it's completely about the psychology of the situation and completely about getting a performance, which isn't always either like drilling them until they do the best take. It's making them feel comfortable, making them enjoy the process, making them come away from it feeling, I had a really good time today. And that's your job as an engineer to ensure that that happens. Yeah, I I think that kind of gets a little bit forgotten. And I think some people, you know, I've definitely done stuff. I did a thing at Audio Empire, guide like a little, uh, oh, what was it? It was like a little Neve, like a little caddy thing he wanted to plug in. And we were trying to clock it for, I was, it wasn't my session, but, and I've got to use this, I've got to use this. And then, oh, we've wasted three hours trying to plug this bit of shit in. Yeah, and it's like we could have just cracked on, and everyone would have felt way better about everything. The same with gear. And like, you could have literally said, "Like I don't condone lying," but you could literally have just said, "Yeah, yeah, we did it all on the Neve thing," and no one in the universe would have been like, "No, you didn't." Yeah, because no, because like you like in a vacuum, you can't tell. Like yeah. it, it, without any other information, you can't tell, yeah. and it doesn't matter. They're nice, and they don't get me wrong. A Neve sounds real good. A U87 into a Neve sounds mint, sounds brilliant. Like, so does my, what I consider quite a bougie vocal chain of the SM7 into the Chandler, into the DBX. That's a nice vocal chain, and that sounds great. I love that. But that's not what's making the record good. That's not what's making the vocal sound good. That's nice. That's like... That's like using really expensive, like, Irish buttercream on top of your dessert instead of, like, double cream. Yeah, it's, it's sure, it's the same thing, but, like, it's it's just, it's, it's like, a, it's like a bit of luxury. Yeah, and I think a lot of this is finding stuff that works together, and you've, you know, you've been using that Chandler for years, and it yeah. works really well with an SM7B. And, you know, I had that Golden Age Pre we were just talking about, and I mentioned this on another podcast, and I sold that because I bought a Universal Audio 710, which was du- at least double the money, at least double yeah. the money. And then I spent you know a month convincing myself that it was better when it actually sounded bullshit. Then I was like, I'm lying to myself. This doesn't sound better. Bugger. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've spent loads of money, and I've made it worse. Yeah. Because the, yeah, the kind of Neve-style thing, and an SM7B just works. And then, as you say, you've got your little 500 comp just tickling it. Why not? You could take the comp out of that. And it'd be a great chain. Yeah, it's still killer. I just happen to like that. And the way... 
I think actually a DBX, the DBX 160, 560 in this case, X or A, whichever variation you want, sounds is super underrated as a vocal compressor. I think they're great. I think, you know, I was thinking the other day, I've been asked to kind of spec a kind of project studio and it's like, just have four of them for drums. Literally. And You're you can sweet. get them off reverb for anything from like 180 quid up to like 320. Super, like, they're not expensive. Got like a couple hundred quid max. Yeah. You can just get them super cheap and then... And they're, they're really forgiving, actually. I remember when I was at your studio. It's really hard to fuck them up. Yeah, it's really I, hard to make them sound awful. I was at your studio and you'd gone away. And yeah, I had a bit of a nightmare with this when I kind of mucked the electricity up. I think we talked about this before. Yeah. And it was just a bit stressful. And I kind of sat down and we'd started tracking the first track. And I look over at the comp and like the <laughs> the thresholds in it's not good. It's reducing too much. And then... Uh, I was like, right, well, this takes going shit. So I just started bypassing it. I was like, actually, it's fine. So I just left it. Yeah. And yeah, it was really forgiving. It's, yeah, it's it's like, it's, I don't know, it's really hard to make it sound bad that, I don't know what they've done. Even it's, I couldn't make it sound bad. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's probably my favorite. If I had to be like, you're only allowed to use one hardware compressor for the rest of your life, it would be that one, without a doubt. sick. And it doesn't take up a lot of room. No, exactly. It's fucking tiny. Yeah, we got a mic, so we're you know it doesn't really really matter. And just it, it, got so a, a mic. If you've got the option, the luxury of choosing a mic, it's worth doing. Seeing what like is marginally better for the voice, sure. And it is like sometimes some people's voices sound awful on some mics. Yeah. And if you're in a studio and you've got a selection, you've got three or four mics, whack them all up, give it a burn. Yeah. Um, but don't don't go, oh, that that one's the most expensive one. I want to use that one because yeah, that generally that. won't be the right one. Yeah, I mean, it will probably probably be fine. But you, what you'll normally find if you do that, if you go for the most expensive one because it's there, that'll be too bright because all those really expensive microphones, like they're they're super like apart from like a U87 and stuff but they're all quite bright and that might be too much for the voice you're doing like there might be too if you, someone's got a sibilant voice and they're not like they don't have great mic technique stuff like that you're going to struggle with sibilance and high end yeah. nastiness with that so it is if you do have the option of trying stuff and with a vocalist you never worked with before for sure like try some out, see what sounds best, and use whatever sounds best. Just purely on what what do you prefer the sound of? Yeah, and there's options. And I think like on a more budget scale, if you can afford an SM7B, that's going to carry most stuff. You know, we were talking the other week about yeah, you just need to or... you just need to have a uh, the Astons are decent. You just need to have a real like a good preamp for the yeah for the SM7. But the the sleeper on the if you're doing heavy stuff and rock stuff is just a cheap. I, well, they're not super cheap. I think they're under 150. Is one of those Sennheiser nine four five or nine three five? I can't remember which yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great. Yeah, they're solid. And they they do everything. And once again, you know, we talked about this before. If you you know, if you're recording, there's not loads of treatment. You're gonna get get a little bit more bit of a better sound with the dynamic because it's not 
not really going to be picking up loads of the room. And yeah. So that's they're, they're factors. But so we we've kind of touched on the kind of psychology of of this. So you know, obviously, yeah, if you've got nice gear, use it. Brilliant. Uh, use whatever is working. Yeah. Um, and then really, it's down down to using the kind of psychological smorgasbord. Yeah, I'd say one step before that would be making sure your gain staging yeah. is correct. Because that's where you can really fuck it up. That's where it doesn't matter what signal chain, you could be using the best U87 into the best 1073 into the best LA2A in fucking Abbey Road Studios. Like, everything's perfect, tip-top. And if you fuck up the gain staging, it's going to sound bad. Crispy. End of, yeah. So that means making sure you're getting enough gain out of the preamp, but you're not, you're not, you're not distorting audibly. And you then got to make sure the output of the preamp isn't hitting. If you've got to compress it in line, got to make sure it's not hitting that too hard. And that's not just the case of you turn down the threshold on the compressor. You make sure that the signal going into the compressor is at a good level to start with, and then you adjust the compressor yeah, to that. That's a fair point because, like on those Neve pre's, for instance, you can obviously attenuate the output, and if that hits the I/O and it's crispy on that stage, because that's just a, I'm guessing it's just a step up transformer yeah. type thing, is ugly. Sounds horrible. It goes from sounding really nice and rich to real bad, real fast. Yeah, so you can do some pretty big damage, but I think that's what I like with the those golden age ones. You've kind of got the selection, which is kind of stepped for the input. Yeah. So you can In the really, same way the Neve does, yeah. yeah you that. really cook it, but then the output is pretty on that because it's not yeah. yeah, it is just an attenuation rather. Yeah, I think the 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 whole point of the Golden Age series was to basically do cheap versions of Neves, really. That's kind great. of their, their whole their whole stick, because I kind of I remember their the uh, gain knob works the same way as the, the Neve channel strips. Yeah, and the DIs on them are really good. It's weird well. and backwards. It's like got, it's not consecutive. It's like you've got a line level switch halfway through, and it's all a bit, it's a bit of a learning curve to using the gain. Turn it round till, because yeah, it can, you can make some pretty loud pops with those things. If it... Yeah, it sounds real bad. <laughs> yeah, they're cool though. Yeah, they are cool. Not loads of money. Go and check them out. So, okay, so we've got some signal going in. Um, yeah, what what's the kind of order on the day of getting getting this kind of, getting a performance? What's what's your thoughts on that? First, you've got to make them like just feel comfortable, feel like they're just hanging out. Because, and that kind of depends on you. Kind of have to figure that out when you meet if you're meeting someone for the first time. Figure out what their their deal is what what they and how they like to work and this is where like being quite good with people comes into play if you're terrible with people you're probably not going to be a good vocal producer just full stop yeah. because like you're you're gonna you're gonna be bad at reading signals and you have to be able to tell quite quickly whether someone's gonna need more of a okay let's bang 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 very serious let's, let's knock this out or whether they're gonna want to like banter a bit first, take the pace. And if they're in a band, it's easier because you can see how they all interact and then you can kind of join in and figure it that way. And that'll dictate how you how you approach the session and how you sort of get the best out of them. 
Yeah, because that is that's a minefield. Because you can't just you can't just be cold. Because then people turn off and they disengage and they start feeling uncomfortable. And... Yeah, and then then what will happen is you'll find frustration will set in quicker. Yeah. Frustration sometimes sets in when someone can't get something or whatever, but it'll set in quicker and last longer if you've made the whole atmosphere like way too uptight. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're all here making music. This is not something to be like, you're not in an accountancy meeting (laughs) being super serious about everything. You can't, you just can't be, you're, you're making music and you're having fun and yeah, you're running a business if you're a producer, but at the end of the day, there someone's come there to make music because they really enjoy making music. Yeah, and the, I suppose the only the only constraints ultimately are, is time and and yeah, because you are on the clock. But but then of course they're they're paying you to do your thing. Yeah, sure. And that then that'll dictate that the time thing will dictate be dictated by a what what the what the singer's able to do. So, for example, if they come in and it's all really fast death metal you know that you're not going to do five songs in a day. If it's all like easy core pop rock and they're doing big long takes, you could probably do five songs in a day. So you can kind of you can kind of figure out from that, from the genre firstly, as to kind of how much you're going to be able to get done. And then when it comes to how well they're doing and how, as the session goes, you can kind of tell what their abilities are and stuff like that. And then it's on you to, like, say if you've got someone in who's quite pitchy on the vocals and you know you've got a certain amount of time, they've got some timing issues and stuff, this is where your editing skills have to come into play. And you have to edit on the fly, sort out their timing, use vocal line to get the doubles all in, whack a little bit of auto-tune on the track. Don't discuss it with the band. It's pointless. Because every single, oh, no, I don't want to use auto-tune. Like, you're there to make those decisions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Don't overcook it. Don't make it sound like T-Pain. But just pop some auto-tune on the track so that when they listen back, it already sounds okay. It like, yeah. sounds good. When yeah, they're holding a, a note, it's it's in key. And it's a confidence booster. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, it sounds really good. Oh, that sounds awesome. Then their confidence skyrockets. And then you start getting good performances out of them. Also, because they've heard it back how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Do you ever do that thing... Where you get them to like record a top line and you go, I, I tend to go, oh, yeah, this is, you know, we'll do the top line or whatever. We'll just do one through. And then if it's fairly decent, I'll play it back at them and then they can double it. And I tell them it's the double. So then they're relaxed. Then I end up generally using that as the top line. Yeah. Because you've d- managed to remove some of the elements of fuckery. It depends. I do usually do like a, like if they're able to sing the song all the way through. I will usually do a sort of yeah, just have a sing through it a couple of times, yeah. just get get in, get the vibe of the song. It also helps me to see the hard parts, timing arrangement, and and see yeah, see if there's any issues, see if there's anything that just needs to go or change. You can then make those decisions while they're doing that run through, and then yeah, quite often you can use bits from that take. But then what I will do is then I'll then we'll break it down a bit just to make sure that I'm getting. That we're refining for things like breaths and power in the voice. Because quite often if they're doing a, a a run all the way through, sometimes that's appropriate. But sometimes there'll be moments where they go, 
and then miss a word, which is mm. what they do live or rush, naturally, yeah. or they'll rush, yeah, something like that, or they'll just, or like a line that should be held like with the like more power is weaker because they know they've got to come into a next bit. So I'll get them to do a couple of takes through, get a sense of the song that way, and then break it down into whatever sections I feel is appropriate for the song. Again, if it's like pop rock, we'll probably do a verse one into a chorus and then verse two into a chorus or whatever. Right. And then, or if it's like super difficult metal stuff, it'll be like, like sometimes even a few words at a time. We're kind of track count here. So what are you looking at for like your top line? Then are you going to, are you going to double that? Or are you going to do, you're going to do a left, right of the center. Depends What's on your the kind genre. Of, yeah, but what would you what would your go to if you're like double. right? I'm going to double this straight and double. then yeah, straight double double same place. Not I'm not like sometimes for a chorus I'll pan, but if they're in tune and aligned to each other, then you can put them in the same place. It sounds good. I'm not a massive fan of like one in the middle and two either side. It just feels a bit weird and disconnected. I find. And also makes your mix feel smaller because it, you, you've got a main vocal occupying where all the wide stuff should be. Even if perceptually you hear it in the middle because it's one either side, yeah. it's still there and it's still fighting with everything else there. So it makes everything else come in. Whereas yeah, if you keep it that. more central, the main vocal, and have your doubles in the middle, sometimes for a chorus I'll do like 30-30. Or yeah, that's if I what want, I was going to say. Yeah, if I want it to be bigger, but even then when I'm doing a 30-30, I'll sometimes have, for like a dense mix, like a pitched low octave and a pitched higher octave in the middle. Right. Real low. Just because the same thing, just copied and then pitched down. So on its own, it sounds like janky and weird or like pixie voice. But that'll just still keep it in the middle. Yeah. But just be a little bigger for a yeah, chorus. I I've always struggled to like place... Um, you know, because there's that I read, you know, probably 15, 20 years ago, you know, you do the double and you can do a low and then, yeah, putting them kind of 30 either side and I've only ever done it once and it was, it worked for this one, I can't remember what record it was and I did it like minus a cent for the left one and plus a cent on the other one so they, Were they different takes? They were all different takes, yeah. So it just gave so, it a bit of width. Yeah, I mean, I and find, that was okay. Yeah, that probably would have worked. I always find that vocals, you kind of, unless they're backing vocals, I don't really ever want width on vocals. I want depth. Absolutely, that's where like your like your EQ stuff and your yeah. like reverbs, echoes, space stuff comes in. Yeah, loads of depth on the vocals. I don't really want width. Everything else can create width. And width is all about like comparative perspective anyway. So if if everything's wide, nothing's wide. Whereas if only a couple of things are really wide, then everything sounds massive. Yeah. Because you've just sense. created more space and you haven't it, you haven't like the, the mistake a lot of people make is trying to think like oh, I want it to sound big and wide, so they make everything like l hard left, hard right, like l reverb, and it just yeah, it kind of is big, but it's like it's big in the sense of like shouting in a church, big. It's not musically big. 
Yeah. It's not like, it's not emotionally big either, which is the thing I think is difficult to kind of put into words. But like vocal is what is one of the main things that like makes a track emotionally big so that it hits hard, not just from a transient perspective, but like from a, I don't know, when something drops in, when a big moment happens in the track, it's like satisfying and kind of... Yeah, you want it to step up a gear. Step up a gear, but also like when you're listening in headphones, open up the space. And yeah, just changing like, the feel and the dynamics of the yeah. sections and yeah. Yeah, and it's that kind of anticipation thing. There was a there was a thing I was watching uh, with a guy I work with. He's big on Def Leppard and this guy's recreated like a Def Leppard track, how they do it vocally. So he's got like three mains, then he does a low. They did this whisper thing that I'd never seen before. Yeah. So he kind of whispers the track. Love a whisper vocal. Yeah, and it's kind of big on some like some kind of types of hip hop, isn't it? Yeah. Like, and it it just I do it on pop stuff all the time. Just it adds just like a bit of air and just a bit of kind of like toppy stuff that sounds kind of gross on its own. But when it was blended in, it was quite quiet and it just sounded wicked. Yeah. For that style. Well, that kind of thing's cool, and like all those little production tricks are really cool and super useful because they can create like once you've got your real good main vocal and you can do two you can do three if you want i think three's overkill i think i think i can't really think of a single instance ever where i've had a triple vocal and I thought i'm really glad i've got a triple vocal <laughs> it's more usually i'm picking two of them and fucking with the other one in some way but um with those and i think in that era of like the, the sort of Def Leppard era, White Snake era. They were tr- they were playing around with how can we make everything as stadium as possible. A yeah. hundred tracks of everything. Yeah, and whisper as like excitement in the thing in in your ears. It's ear candy, really, and I'm all for ear candy. Ear candy's one of the most important things in like music production. Of course, it's what the what people remember about those records it's what stops it yeah exactly it's moments it's it's what stops everything just being like Beatles songs really it's just because cool you got a good song excellent box ticked but it, that the ear candy on a bad song is what makes it big yeah like the like loads of I'm trying to think of an example there's a whole but era like, like the whole new metal uh, era what, yeah like that was all it's just all like, ear candy yeah so like you know literally I was just thinking of what are they called Come a little butterfly. What's the bad? Oh, uh, um, um, crazy, crazy town? town. They've been had a resurgence recently, oh, which is man. weird. Let's hope not. But I mean, like that song is a great example of that. That song is whack. Like as a songwriting perspective, it's nothing. It's just it's just a Red or Chili Peppers loop, isn't it? Yeah, and it's just like a cool whatever. But what makes it a great song and a classic song is all the like all the sort of DJ stuff going, on, all the scratching, all the like. Whatever that guitar tone is, ding, 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 the little, little like lead line thing, yeah, yeah that yeah. runs throughout the whole track on repeat. That's got some weird effects on. Someone's obviously just been stoned in the studio and been thought, "Oh, it sounds cool, man. Let's use that." And that's that's made the song. Just those parts put together, it's not a good song. No, but that's what you know. You think I think kind of back to hooks and loops and you know, ear candy. We're going off on a tangent. That's what we do. Yeah, you, know, you think you're going to Cypress Hill. Just yeah, those weird like little like horn section noises that are kind of high pitched or 
that's they're what makes peculiar but you're like what, yeah. wicked and you want it you're waiting for it to hit that's what takes it from being just just a beat and makes it okay this is a cool song now this has like moments in and things like that like it's really common now in like modern hip hop and like trap stuff where like there's lots of like vocal ear candy that goes on like just they're shouting stuff they're just saying random shit in the background but it's got like auto-tune on, loads yeah. of reverb, and it sounds really cool. And it. for some reason it just works and sounds cool and it takes really basic like four-part beats and turns them into classic huge hits. I think I think that stuff's so clever. I was listening to that Silk Sonic uh, record, which is... That's brilliant, that. That is ridiculous. Like that 777 track is a prime example it's got those like little shout tracks that are so distorted, mm. like those little ad libs. And then if you listen to it on headphones, it just is so well done. Of course, it yeah. is because it's Bruno Mars. Yeah, and uh, and it's all those ear candy bits, particularly like the vocal ones that are really popular now. Is like they're all filling like sub beats that like um, like trick your brain into thinking there's like extra elements. Like if you just put like a year. On a on like an offbeat, on like every other bar, on beat three and a half or something, suddenly you've got a new bounce in the track that you didn't have before. That takes a really basic beat and makes it way like funkier and dancier and bouncier. And I'm, yeah, I'm all about that kind of stuff. I I think that's what makes tracks like real good. We've definitely gone on a fat tangent, but I, th- I think it's relevant. It's, it's relevant. It's still kind of relevant, but um, I mentioned vocals. So it's... yeah, someone said the the vocal world. So yeah, uh, to bring it back, we were kind of talking about managing the artist and getting them comfy. And and do you if I'm if I'm doing kind of a rock thing or a shouty thing, I'd prefer I prefer them being in the room. They can have cans on if they want or we can do out the monitors because i don't really care but i kind of prefer if i'm doing that stuff i prefer them being in the room for some reason i just feel i get a better a better performance yeah i mean i don't really mind to be fair i think i've i've done both i've had studios where like right now i've got a vocal booth but in my old place i didn't have a vocal booth place before that i had a live room so it was cool but yeah, I don't really mind. It doesn't really doesn't really bother me. I can kind of do whatever. I kind of like the reason why I like a vocal booth is because I can just I, they don't watch me edit, which yeah. I, don't have, I don't have a problem with. But there's a different. It's a different psychological. If they're in the same room but they can't see the screen, that's preferable to me. Not because I'm doing any weird shit or whatever, but it's better if they don't just watch me chop their vocal up i think it's that thing with anything like that where you know i remember first time i was in a studio and they were using triggers and stuff on the drums i'm like what's that and he's like oh nothing it's because he doesn't want to have that conversation about yeah because he as, as we've said before that vocalist is in there or that drummer they want to hear the end product and they want it they want it to sound good and that's one of the elements that is going to make it sound good and you might not agree with some of the heavy lifting that goes on with that yeah but that's not your fucking problem because yeah, you're like, paying for that guy to make it do that. I'm thing. also not going to lie about it. If someone's no. like, "Oh, what's that?" I'd be like, "Oh, it's this." I'm just going to—I'll just tell them straight up. But I'm not going to be like waving it in their face. Be like, "I oh, look, look, 
look, bro, look how much I'm editing your vocal, man. <laughs> even if I'm not doing it that much, like even if I'm doing like small little bits, which it mostly is. The buzz killer. Like, lots of small little bits. But if it's like, if they've done like, like fucking one line and then I'm like chopping shit up, that's just psychologically not as good as them just being in the booth waiting for the next take. Yeah. In in my head, that's just like it's some. If marginally, it is just a bit better. Well, it's it's pre-packing it a little bit, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's you know. It's, yeah. And that that's not a bad thing because it, you know, on a on a psychological level, as you say, you're going to hear it back and it's going to be a really positive experience. So yeah. why would you not want to do that? Yeah, and I think also there's this habit in the music in, with music people and creative people where they kind of romanticize suffering. Like they they romanticize the idea of oh we we spent six hours doing this one line yeah look how hard we it's like why why did you do that but there's also that snobbery of like oh it should go in right and it should go in like you know that's sure, a whole but going that's in a whole going in right is not it sounds like it's a simple concept but it's not a simple concept going in right I think people automatically think goes in perfect no that's not what it means. To me, anyway, going in right means it's got the right energy. It's close enough to be within reasonable editing boundaries. Everyone's happy with it. It delivers the message that it's supposed to deliver as a part. I'm completely, I'm completely there. Like if it's got vibe and it, it's the delivery is good and it's got energy. If it's a little bit, if the tuning's a bit out, I'm just going to leave it because what you could do is you could keep on at them and make them feel really shit. Because you've made them do it like ten times, and their voice will get tired. Uh, yeah, their voice will get tired. They may hit the pitch, but by take nine, it's it, it it's just it, not better. It hasn't got the same vibe as that take. So the, the I'm going to go with the vibe. Yeah, exactly. The only exception to not doing loads of takes is if it's like a timing issue, or there's like a enunciation issue, and there's a genuine thing that someone's struggling with. Then yeah. Sure, that's when you maybe knuckle down for a bit and you drill it get the work and done. you get it right. Sure. But if the, if they're basically doing it great, they're a little bit pitchy, but it's got good energy and the timing's good or timing's close enough to be within sort of editing boundaries, then we're rolling with it. Because I want, I want them to come out at the end of the session being like, that was great. I felt like I nailed that in there. I feel really good about how it sounds. Not... Oh man, I worked so hard today. Oh, I feel as it all shit. La 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 la. And then there's a saying saying a minute ago about people romanticizing having a bad time, which is like it's like somehow makes it better if you've worked yourself through the bone for it. Just which a, I think is stupid. I think that's all about working smart, not hard. Yeah, that whole like I did I did a record with a guy. It was a bit bit of a buzz killer, and I kind of called him on it because like it's everything's like, just shit. It's like you're just mate. Like you're making me. You're making me feel bad about playing, and now I don't want to do it. Yeah, and I'm paying you to yeah. not do that. Yeah, I've never got that whole like old school. Oh, you're Hard you're not head, doing like... it. You're not doing it right. Do it right. Yeah, that's really going to help everyone, isn't it? That yeah, attitude, sure. I and I that get shot. that somewhat before the era with all the technology we have now. Like back in the day when you had to get it right to tape, sure. Get it right. I get that then. But we don't live in that world anymore. And people want to live in that world. It's a bit like it's a bit like being like, 
having the option of buying a car, being, being like, no, the correct way to travel, the natural way to travel is with horse and cart, bro. Like, you're doing it wrong, man. You're not traveling correctly. You're, you're not traveling authentically, bro. It's like, no, just take, take, take the car, take the bus. Like, stop being an idiot. But there's there's always going to be purists and snobs within all. Sure, I mean, and, and I'm always going to rip on them. Yeah, I am as well because it, <laughs> it just it gets to my nerves. As long as they exist, doesn't I will continue to make jokes about it. And I don't, but you're never going to get away from that because ultimately, no, that's fine. I'm cool with that. Ultimately, I guess if you've grown up like you know day one and you've been you've been in a studio with a tape machine and all this great gear and that's what you know, you're going to think that we're a couple of c- yeah, um, and, and that's, that's fine. totally fine. You can go and do one part 700 times and I'll put out some records. How's that sound? I'll release some stuff. Also, the other thing about making sure they enjoy the session, why that's so important, because they enjoy the session, they're going to feel better about everything. That If they hated the session, you could do the best mix ever and there'll still be something in the back of their minds where they was like, oh, that was just all shit. And, com- and then what happens is, when the time comes for right. them to promote the record, they're less willing to like put it all in and go all in with promoting. You're which, right. Which isn't as good, because at the end of the day, if you're a producer, you want the record to do well. Yeah, you get paid for your services, but you also want the record to do well. Because if you've got records that do well, you're going to get more work. I, I, and you're also going to... Yeah. You're going to have... You have much better reputation for it. That just reminded me. I did a did an EP, and we went to this studio in Germany. And one of the guys in the band, you know, they were like, "We've got tape. Do you want to do the drums on tape?" I'm like, "If it's going to be just as easy," and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, it'll be fine." And then we start playing, and then the synthy starts dropping out in between takes, and the drummer was under rehearsed, and then I started feeling the burn a little bit, mm. the resistance. And it's like, right, yeah, we could put this on tape because it's tape and it's really cool. And it might sound 1% better, or we can bin off the tape and just get the fucking record done. Yeah. And I kind of got talked over and I got kind of told to shut up. So I just I just disengaged because we were playing along with the drummer so he could do the guides. So I just kind of stormed off because I was like, fuck this. I'm not, this is bullshit. We should just do it straight in. And been off the tape. Yeah. And it took ages. And actually, you know, I haven't listened to those tracks in years, but when I think of that session. Yeah. And that studio was wicked and we had a really good time, actually. Yeah. For the most part, I think about that. Yeah. And you, there's always that niggle in the back of your mind of like, oh, that was kind of, I know we like did something stupid on that one or that was, you just, there's, there's some level of negativity there is because surrounding it. The amount of uh, ball ache that caused. Yeah. I don't think it actually added anything to the record, is what I'm kind no, of. It is the punchline. from the record and made things a lot harder to, like, sort out and made things a lot slower, stickier. The thing people misunderstand about tape, and I'm saying this as someone who's really not done a lot of work on tape, but I know plenty of people who have done a lot of work on tape. And it's that was the best available technology. Believe me, if the Beatles had Pro Tools, like all these old blues dudes had Melodyne, can you imagine if the Beatles or Led Zeppelin had like Melodyne? Can you imagine like just what would have happened? They absolutely 100% would have used it. Of course. 
like why why wouldn't you so it's really just a product of what's available to you and they used all of the latest stuff that made their lives easier yeah the Jimi hendrix thing with the kind of like tape delay vibe yeah. that was like pre-cutting edge you know um yeah exactly of course they're going to use it because but you know if you'd have had tools. a plug-in version of it absolutely he would have used that because he wouldn't have had to like reset it he wouldn't have had to oh the tapes like got coiled in the echo yeah. we've got to go buy a new tape for it i wonder what jimmy hendrix record would have sounded like if he had a pro tools rig would have sounded all brilliant. the plugins because it yeah. would have been mental it'd have been crazy and obviously technology develops and grows and for its time it was groundbreaking and brilliant but the idea that like there's some sort of like pure way of doing it that the old guys did they only did that because that was the best available thing. You, yeah. you still would have had guys at the time being like, oh, I can't believe you're recording this man to tape. Like, the, nothing sounds as good as wax lacquer. <laughs> or like, do you, do you know what I mean? There's definitely, or people being like, Gatekeeping. Recording music ruins music. That was a genuine thing when recording music came out. Like, are you recording music is cheating because you get to experience music without someone playing it. You're cheating as a musician by recording. And all that kind of nonsense. And it's just it's just an extension of that. You're always going to have grumpy level, people. Yeah. At any level of anything, you're always going to have grumpy fuckers who just want to moan. Gatekeep, put roadblocks in and all that shit. Yeah, but they're the ones that get left behind. Yeah. Unless you've had like a massive hit records doing it that way. And there's like a few people who have, very like the Steve Albini's and stuff like that. It's like, cool, you do you do a thing. You've had some success doing that that way. But for most people, that's just way more work for usually objectively worse results. Yeah, I, I, uh, we'll we go back to the vocals thing eventually. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, there was a band, a UK band, a couple of years ago, and I was speaking to the drummer, and they did a, a record down Brighton Way. And he was like, Yeah, we, we didn't edit any of the drums, I played all of it. And as soon as he said it to me, and it was almost a flex, I just thought, that's because the producer's just sitting there going, cool. A, I'm not doing any editing. Yeah. And B, I'm just, I'm just like, I'm printing my own money. Yeah. Because we can just spend an extra three days doing the drums. Wicked. Yeah. And great, if they can afford that, but they weren't like a big deal. No. They were a good band, but we haven't got endless buckets of cash, any of us. Also, no one cares. Like, yeah. Like, Did it make the record better? I'd Probably no, not. Not really. And like, sure, maybe as like an artistic endeavor, sure. See, let's see what we can do. Let's see what our true capabilities are as an experiment. Cool. Why not? But for the most part, I've never met anyone like anyone who's seriously like working in music, serious day to day musician who hasn't been like, yeah, just do what needs to be done. Just get it done. This is it. It just needs to happen, doesn't it? Yeah. So back onto vocals yeah. after we just went off on Finally. one of our... Ta- I think we just need to accept that that's That's just going to be part of the thing. I yeah. think we'll get the best stuff from the, thing the tangent. We're not supposed to be talking about. So you're, you're looking at double tracking uh, the top lines. Then what 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 you what under that are you wanting to get? So what it, would you what would your frame be your framework straight up without so, yeah. too much detail? So as it were obviously it depends on the genre, but generally. It'll be, I'll have a double track for every main vocal, even on soft bits. Won't necessarily use it, but I'll have one. Um, I'll sometimes get them to sing a low octave if they can, or a high octave. But normally I'll just make it from the main the main top line. 
because I think it sounds cooler, it's way quicker, and it's never loud enough in the mix for it to make any difference. Plus, you save all the time of having to align it and tune it to match and all of that stuff. So that's main vocal out of the way. Backing vocals, every harmony will have a double track if it's just like straight up harmonies. And that'll be hard left and right most of the time. Sometimes like narrower if if it's like a smaller part or something. Um, so that applies however many harmonies you're snacking. So always a double track every time. Sometimes I'll do a quad track if it's like, if the idea is for it to be like a bit choiry and right. a bit more like so you go lots big. of voices. Yeah. The only way to go big with vocal is to just add loads of vocals. And Sometimes if I want to get something really big, I'll get everyone in the band, even if you can't sing, because everyone can sort of pitch vaguely close-ish to a point where it's tunable and I'll get them doing the line, get them all doing it in a variety of different voices. So eventually you can kind of make it properly, make it sound like a stadium of people singing with that kind of thing. And that's basically, yeah, it's pretty simple. There's not really, that kind of covers all bases. So you Sometimes I'll do a whisper vocal, as we spoke about earlier. Yeah, yeah, and... So that's not that's not loads, and so when you when you've got it in the box, uh, it's been yeah, it's been edited and you've tuned it. Generally, I'm guessing Melodyne, and then you might put auto tune on it after just to yeah, raise just, it a little bit. If I'm going for a kind of poppy vocal, I'll tune with Melodyne, as in to correct pitch correct stuff, and then I'll use auto tune for the effect because it has a sound. It's got a very sort of specific thing going on. Yeah. That I quite like, and quite a lot of people like as well. Yeah, it, work, it works on pop, as you say, because yeah. it, it kind of just brings it into that realm, doesn't it? Yeah, it just kind of it does something to the high end. Don't know what it is. Some sort of mild saturation thing happening in the process that just sounds really good. Don't know why. No idea. But like A B A and B with or tune on and off. It's like okay, this just sounds better somehow. Yeah, and if it ain't broke, yeah, just fine. Whatever. And then are you kind of reaching for eleven seventy six? Actually, only rarely. I don't actually use eleven seventy six on vocal that much at all. I just find it too like it's too spitty. It's too like sometimes that's cool, but it, I find generally it doesn't control like the high end anywhere near the amount I want it to. There is an exception. I've got one. I've got an eleven seventy six hardware clone that I use on really sibilant vocals. Remember we were talking about earlier wrong mic choice and yeah. like the vocals are really horrible and sibilant. Running it through through that goes a long way to fix that problem. Right. Doesn't work with plug-in versions. No. So it's it's something about this the like having some real circuitry that just rounds all that off. What real 1176 circuitry that just does something there, thickens it all up, tidies up those horrible sibilant bits. But that's about it. And I'll sometimes use it a bit like a limiter on the very end of the full vocal chain. So what's your go-to comp for a vocal? What are you tending to use now? The Acme one from the Plugin Alliance thing. Okay. Basically, I've used religiously. The, uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's like, it's A, so it's like top of the, top oh. of the list. Um, that one, I use gain reduction, the Joey Sturgis tones one. One or two? Are you using the new one or the I'm still one? using one, man. 
Like just I, I bought two. If it ain't if it ain't broke. Two's cool. I used it on a I do uh, want to get to because I think it's got some more features. It's it? wicked. I used it on a vocal um my friend Aaron sent me he's doing a vocal cover for his Deathcore band. And uh yeah, his vocal's great anyway. He's a really good vocalist, but I just whammed it on that, put a Diesta on it, and it's like cool. Yeah. That's that's my chain. It's great that I've those two are my two main like first first in the chain first or second in the chain once it's in the box that it's either of those two it's yeah. depending on the style of voice game, but, re- game reduction 2 is quite a lot lot less sibilant than the first one that's why i'm kind of leaning a little bit more towards because sometimes i like that on screen vocals yeah, yeah it can definitely work but always it's, follow it with a deessa because it can be a bit brutal can't it yeah yeah it's quite savage but sometimes that's just sometimes it's just what you want because that's supposed to be like... Particularly, it, that's really useful if someone's tracked on an SM7 without enough gain. Yeah. You can, t- you, can, you can tell, I can tell it from a mile off when someone's not got enough gain on the mic and it's just a bit weak and dull sounding. Spin, yeah. But then gain reduction really helps with that because it's adding loads of saturation somewhere. Yeah, saturation, comp and just all kinds of just a, horrible... Just loads of bitching effects. Yeah, I like that plugin a lot. And it's not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money. I use the other vocal compressor I use. It's not first in the chain. It's later in the chain, but it's on every vocal chain. It's Arvox. Yeah. Probably the best vocal compressor of all time. I think, I don't know, I might be talking BS here, but I think Arvox, I don't think it's got a set attack and release on it. So I think it's active. So I think it just... Whatever it's it doing, it's it's sick. It must have some sort of sidechain thing going on where it's letting low frequencies through because it feels sometimes like it's compressing the mid-range stuff, like the telephone frequencies, way more than the low-end stuff, which is great. It's what it sounds like. I don't know if it's actually doing that. I'm probably completely wrong, but that's yeah. what it sounds like it does, and that's why I think it... Do you think, it, yeah, it might be keyed, like it might have some internal filters that... I don't know, like probably some or... some wizardry, but Waves nailed it with that one, and that's been around for decades now. I remember the uh, the, the old crack pack, and you just you're going through hundreds of Waves plugins, and a lot of them you don't really understand what they do. You know, twenty years ago, but the yeah, Arvox, you just put it on and it just does. Put it on. It's got two sliders. Pull threshold down. Boom. Done. If you go, it's done. Don't need to think about it anymore. Move on. They're, they're your kind of comp. The, the Acme thing, I haven't used that. I have to check that out. Really good. My favourite vocal compressor. I haven't... Just works brilliantly. I think it's based on the old, like, Altec things. Oh, okay. You know, those old, like, like, proper squishy, Beals, like, yeah. Happy Road era style. But for vocals, vibe. that's, like, absolutely mint. Yeah, because it's, it's that thing with vocals. You want it to be slow and soft. Yeah. Because that's the way we are... Regulate to hear them, then. yeah. That's just because the way of those we, records, yeah. We like to hear, yeah, vocals like that, yeah. They're like really transient and quick, and it doesn't sound nice, it's not it's pleasing, too like, da, da, yeah. Da, it's too like choky and weird, choky. That's the word, Diesa Val, next, yeah. Diesa, then Valhalla. Start. So, I'd be uh, Diesa normally is next in the chain. What are you There's using for your Diesa now? Wave sibilant, you're still using wave sibilant because I just don't have to do anything, I just literally yeah. put it on, it's done, like. 
I'm probably using it like a complete like moron, but literally working. just loading it up. I rarely change any of the settings. Like it's the, the whatever the preset is. I don't even know. I can't even think what it is. I just load it up. So, oh, cool. It's DS now. Excellent. Move on. I used the um, RX one the other week, the DSA, and that's the same. I just put it on. I was like, I don't even do anything. I don't even look at it, and it just sounded better. So, yeah, so I've actually tried the. I've got the RX one. But... It's wicked. It like it's really simple. Yeah, I couldn't tell you how many faded. I think it's got two, but it just sounds great, and Whatever, it's not. Like... It doesn't. It doesn't really smash the high end in brutally either. No, because I don't want. I don't want it to sound like they've gone gone and got a lift. Yeah. Otherwise, it sounds thilly. Yeah, it sounds weird and like again choky, but just like just in the high end. So yeah, it sounds like they've got a fat lisp. Then to be fair, I've probably got then this EQ at that point. Definitely, I do quite a lot of. There's quite a lot of stages generally in my vocal chain because it's like. It's not, um, I don't know, I, I feel like it's hard to do big moves with any one thing. So I've probably got, after that, I've got an, after the DS there's an EQ, then maybe some form of saturation, and probably another EQ, or another DSer, then Arvox at some point, then, then probably some more EQ. And then I've got, like, effects sends in my kind of mix template. I've got, my like vocal reverbs delays are set up as sends. Yeah. It doesn't make a huge difference whether you have it on the channel or not. I just like being able to send all the vocals to the same reverb. Yeah, and then you can automate it a little bit. It's yeah. just a little less mucking about. It's a bit nicer for like delay throws as well. Yeah. Because it works how a delay throw works instead of just mix knob up, which kind yeah. of doesn't, you're sending one word more into the thing. So I'm I'm generally on a vocal. I'm doing four sends. I'm doing two reverbs, a short, a uh, kind of medium, I guess, and then I'm doing two delays. Like yeah, I've got quarter note, and I've got quite a few set up. I don't always use all of them, mm. but I think as like as uh, set up as um, buses, I've got like a short, a quarter note delay, half note delay, a slap delay. I've got a hall reverb. I've got a plate reverb. And I've also got like uh, a Valhalla Shimmer channel, which is the ridiculously huge one. Yeah, which a tiny that. bit of that on like a real poppy vocal or in like an ambient section, it's just dank. It's just real nice. So I'm using some combination of those. Just yeah, just blending them in as as you see fit. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think with reverb because you're only using a small amount, you can you can stack them like that. And yeah, it, you can kind of build. It doesn't space. get weird. Yeah. Do you do any backbus stuff with the vocals? Because on heavy stuff, as in like parallel, yeah, kind of stuff. not really on vocals. I do fucking hella parallel compression on drums. Yeah, but vocals not really, because there's a bit of. So normally I've got right at the very end of my of the vocal chain. So that's all the vocals. And all the vocal re- effects sends go into one bus, which is like a vocal thing. So that's basically so if I need to print off just the vocals, you can send I can them just all print through. it all off. Yeah. Sometimes on that, I've got an EQ. Sometimes I've got, quite often I've got the Marg EQ, which is another plug in alliance thing, just with their air band up yeah. a little bit. And then either I've got another EQ sometimes or like something like Soothe. 
doing like a tiny bit that's like just just putting some bits in sometimes i've got nothing on it but sometimes sometimes i've got those on it if it just needs a bit more tucking in all together cohesively yeah. but i don't really do any parallel compression on vocals i don't know why i just find i just want the vocal to be super direct and... yeah and i guess if you're saturating stuff on on the actual channel and you're doing yeah. it like that it, it just works and i suppose it obviously depending on what stuff you're doing like if you're doing like a funk record or saying where it's all a little bit more swampy you're probably yeah. gonna have more like back yeah. bus stuff and if you're doing more a lot of stuff you do is quite precise so yeah i suppose you need a little bit more control also most plugins have like mix knobs as well so so technically yeah maybe i've got a decapitator on a vocal channel and i've got the mix at 40 percent. yeah so you're running so it like a i'm uh, yeah technically there's that kind of parallel stuff going on but that's just i don't think of it as parallel because it's on the yeah no, it's on course. the channel of course. and i'm also really not fussed about like preserving the integrity of the vocal or anything like that no you just want it to sound decent so if i'm gonna slam it i'm gonna slam it if it sounds cool then slam.com slam.com exactly that's your uh vocal chain bv's same vibe sort of yeah bv's same vibe the only extra thing that i have on bv's is depending on how big i want it i'll quite often have like c4 doing some like just like smashing the highs a little bit and bringing them up slightly so they're all like silkier and soft and then also the waves doubler sometimes but the one with four um doubles a bit of that on bvs just i don't know what it is it's quite subtle but it like just makes them just poke out a little bit more yeah. above a mix without really changing anything what are you going to use when you're uh why your subscription uh, runs out? <laughs> don't know. They've <laughs> they've decided they're going to not do that anymore. For, for this week. Yeah. For this week, yeah. I don't know. What, I don't know. Fuck it. I'm someone else. Thing is, like, already, like, companies have made their own versions of Waves plugins. Yeah. So, like, it's Dan Corneff who yeah, we did, he did the L1. Literally, like, like three days later. I was like, yeah, cool, I've made a prototype of Waves L1, but, like, his version. Is it, does it still, does his L1, I'd be interested to... I don't know, I haven't tried see it. See if it, if it destroys it might snare be drums. Awful. I don't know. I is hope it, so. Is it a snare drum destroyer? Because that's the real test with an I L1. I hope it's the same, I hope it's as, like, horrendous to transients yeah. as L1 is. L1 is the Comic Sans... Of the plugin world, because obviously Comic Sans is the worst font. Yeah, I like that it doesn't get used for what it was supposed to be used for, but... It's a terrible limiter. It is a very terrible limiter. But sometimes that just works. There was a thing, we're going off on one again, there was a whole thing on Gear Sluts about this, where it was a guy who did a Thursday record, I can't remember the producer's name, and he did a Brandon Boyd record, which is the Incubus singer who did a solo record. Yeah. And he'd used L1 on all the buses and they were like crunchy, L1 crunchy. And he'd used it as like a taste thing. And there's just pages and pages of this guy just getting abused. By <laughs> I want to listen I'll to those I records find now. It. But yeah, I send you the records and you're just like, oh, that's kind of honky gross in a, yeah. in a bad way. That's but, so weird. But I think he did like a release, like released a comment why he'd done it. Yeah. 
but yeah, I'll find it and send it to you because it's one of those like moments where yeah, amazing. Someone's done a L1's thing. L one's a cult classic. Yeah, it literally. I, I kind of feel like I don't know. I've always got a soft spot. It's for like L1. it's like the plug in meme, like the Lars Ulrich snare. Yeah. It's just the thing now, isn't it? Yeah, it is the like. Yeah, the wall of shame, not fame. Exactly. But it's it, the like, yeah. It's the kid that gets bullied but pulls out an absolute like corker one day suddenly. For all the wrong reasons. Yeah. I just stopped myself saying saying absolutely horrific then. <laughs> all you gotta say, you can cut it out. Oh hell no. <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> not too much going on apart from having seventy three EQs on local. Like sometimes more. Sometimes I'll be like normally if I'm doing anything tonally, there's an EQ after it. Because tone stuff, like tone boxes and things, they they generally need they generally kind of do what you want them to do, but they also add a load of other shit that you then have to sort out. Generally, pretty much as a rule. Yeah. So I almost always, if I've got like the capitator, less so with satin, but even so with satin, I'll have an EQ after it, just to because it'll add harmonics, and then suddenly those harmonics will work mostly across the spectrum but they'll suddenly interfere with something else in the mix yeah and then you've got to fuck that off you're right the classic the classic is the special metal stuff where it's like quite aggressive vocal where someone's saturated it and it's just really light sounds really band passy yeah because the the as you say it's kind of added loads of harmonics around that that area and it, it's cutting through, but it's not cutting through in a pleasant way. It's cutting through, yeah, in the same way an air raid siren cuts yeah, through. Yeah. It's not, you don't want to hear it. No. You do a little bit of hip-hop stuff. What you, what, what, what's your go-to on a, I, I haven't ever done a rap vocal. Same. Exactly the same. SM7B? Yeah, or, I mean, if you've got a nice condenser, that also works. But, I mean, SM7B's absolutely fine. Nine, like ninety percent of the time, SM7B just just knocks it out of the park. Great, so easy to work with. Everyone thinks they're really dark, but that's just because they have a shit preamp. Yeah, when you got a good preamp and enough gain, they sound brilliant. Yeah, that is a that is a bit of a, a spoiler alert. You know, I think people buy a two i two and an SM7B, and, and they're like, oh, why is it really noisy and dark? It's because you've got the gain turned up on max, yeah. and, and you're just tickling a- the like prime threshold for it and they buy a cloud lifter and they're really harsh sounding and yeah and it's clean gain which is not the same i mean a cloud lifter will help a lot but you're adding clean gain which is not it's not musically sort of it's useful level wise but it's not musical sounding yeah it's not definitely not musical can bring out quite a lot of harsh yeah i mean other than that rap vocals are the same really it's all just a vocal just different Different delivery yeah, style. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. It's just saying I've never, I've never I done. Probably have my in the box settings might differ slightly, and the tonality tends to be a bit richer because they're not like it's it's closer tonality to like someone singing in a low voice down here. Yeah, because they're more kind of talking where there's more like low end and richness to the voice. Where someone like a rock singer is more like high mids, yeah, more kind of shrieky. So I put different like EQ settings and there's yeah. different parts to enhance. I've done a bit of e- yeah, I've d- I've done a bit of a mix on one. I I did a track with a bit of bit of rap on it, but I, I I can't say I've ever tracked any. Um, 
But no, I just, yeah, was interested to see if it differed massively. But yeah, for intents and purposes, it's still a vocal, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, it's, I'm using all the same tools, just maybe in slightly different ways, according to the uh, like the vocalist and the parts and what kind of track it's going into as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we talked before about um, upgrading. Have you looked any more at Sphere, Mike? Yeah, I, I'm super intrigued by it. I do want to get one. Uh, but I'm also like... <laughs> do I need one? Do I need... I don't need one. No. I want one. Yeah, I kind of want one. I don't one. need a Mercedes, but I want a Mercedes. It's that sort of thing. Yeah. Like, Because you'd have to get the more expensive one as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. I wouldn't have to, but I'm already in the UAD ecosystem, so yeah. it makes sense to. You'd just be annoyed at yourself if you didn't get it, though, because it's got two capsules in it. And Yeah. If I'm going to get that sort of thing, I'm going to get this, the sphere on there. The one that the UAD, the dual capsule one, yeah, because they do, yeah, they do it. I think they do an DLX or saying which is the dual, and then they do an LX. And I think the more expensive one's like three or four hundred quid. But if you're spending over a grand and it's next to three hundred quid, you might as well just put just down do it, yeah, because sure. that just seems pointless at that point, yeah, I, yeah, for sure. If you're gonna I get think... a Merc, get the heated seats, right? Yeah, for do you know what I mean, you pay a little bit extra to get the, yeah get the, the sat nav included yeah. like this yeah all of that I, yeah if I was gonna that if I was gonna buy another mic it would be one of them for sure absolutely because that's just again like modern technology like modern technology do all this cool stuff with it almost certainly that'll get integrated with AI as well I think so and I, it'll pick the perfect thing for the voice and music la 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 I think that's where I'm leaning because I'm going to move in the next couple of months touch wood if all goes to plan yeah and I'll have a bit more bit more room I'm going to have a bit more of a setup like you've got again because I've, I've got a very small space currently and uh, I was kind of looking at, at gear as you do you know you start planning yeah, yeah. your next stuff and I was kind of looking at some audioscape stuff I was like oh, I'd be really nice to to get you know a hard hardware compressor or and I was like no, I don't actually need that if I'm gonna put if I'm gonna put down on stuff I'm gonna if you want one for just the joy of having just get one of them mate like literally yeah, yeah, get that the, and the, the unit like three hundred quid and you'll have the five hundred series like, yeah I, I was just it as well. I, I was just kind of thinking if you know if I if I was gonna put like four grand down I'm gonna get I'm just gonna buy the UAD mic yeah and I'm not gonna have any hardware I'll just get a really nice pre just get the just get UAD interface as well. Well, you'll have to. I think you'll have to anyway. For the yeah, then it's just done. Then it's done, and that is the preamps on that are just top Sweet. top class. Well, They're they brilliant. are actually top class. There was um, I watched a thing that Paul Third put up about the Universal Audios doing like the pro and co uh, pros and cons. I think he's got the same one as you, uh, which is the which one have you got? Uh, X Eight. X Eight. Yeah, the big boy. And he said the downside was it was. The Thunderbolt was being a bit weird with his PC. Yeah, you've just got to make sure that because Thunderbolt's a newer addition to PC, yeah, to Windows. So you just have to make sure that your motherboard is compatible, yeah, and all of that, all of that. Once you've crossed that threshold, it works it's great. Done, yeah, like, he's it's fine. But they they've got they have got the most headroom of any preamp at that yeah, price point. Brilliant. And the next lot up, you're looking at saying like, you know, where it's going to be a, it's going to be an ADA. It's not even going to have a pre in it. Like and Swift, then, yeah, and then you're talking like 
eight grand pop or something. I mean, like, dumb. yeah, sure. Like, they just get stupid. And then I feel like people pe- people love to hate the UAD stuff as well. Because yeah. it feels it feel like everyone's got one. Blah, blah, blah. It feels a bit like, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, you got the UAD, sick. It's like, have you got a Mac, bro? It's a bit like that kind of vibe. But I genuinely think they're brilliant. I, I think, think they're awesome. I think that Apogee will get, you know, from my point of view, like I, 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 I've only used one of those UAD things once. Yeah. And the studio I was working at bought one and they have one of those really horrible um, Pro Tool Surface desks. Oh, right, yeah. And it was literally in there. So the clients came in and they're like, oh, wow, a big board. But we weren't even using the pre's on it. And they bought one of them and they couldn't get it to run with the shitty desk. So they got rid of it and got some Swifts and then some pre's. But the that was back in the day when it first came out. And I think the mixer was a bit of a pain. But they've sorted all that out. The pre's are wicked. The remote session thing on it is sick. Because mm. you've used that quite a lot, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much you can do with them. And it's all like, because it's kind of modular, You as they bring stuff out, you don't need to like upgrade your whole system every time. Yeah. It's all sort of there. And there's add technology onto it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And it, you know, it can also, you can do use the virtual preamps on the way in and stuff yeah you? You and you can, can choose it. to yeah you can print them in and that's really useful for monitoring because it means because i do a lot of tracking i do like mostly mixing but a lot of tracking as well so it's quite annoying if i've constantly got to keep changing sample rates but with the uad stuff because the plugins are so good i can just have a a chain that i'm monitoring with and the art artist is monitoring with zero latency like absolutely fine so you do but that I in can, the mix window so you can do like window. comp reverb yeah blah, blah, all blah. Of that stuff just just i'm not printing that in it's but it's just monitoring listen to yeah yeah so we can hear it back and they can hear it in the booth and stuff like that and even guitars when we're tracking stuff like that That's and sick. then then i just mute the channel in pro tools and then it, i can track i can leave it at 2048 sample rate where like for mixing and still like jump between tracking really easily because i remember otherwise i used to have to be like okay i'm going if we were doing overdubs and something that i started mixing it was a nightmare because i had to keep like okay let me just close the session change the sample rate do all of this load it back up i've got to print out into another session because there's still latency because we're trying to monitor through the session but without having to do that I can just okay, yeah, sweet, yeah, let's jump in, let's do it, bang, and it's I, there. Yeah, I think that's good that they, yeah, that that's that's the thing, and even you know, it's even with those more expensive converters like the 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 avid ones, it's like oh, it's zero latency. It is zero latency, but then if you go back into a project you've been mixing and you've got loads of plugins, it's not zero latency. and you start recording, it will just crash the machine. Yeah, because it can't and it keep just up. won't work. So it is zero latency, but their way around that is to just literally like boycott the computer yeah literally and that's just better that's a much better system in my opinion because it just it just like it cuts out loads of bullshit immediately i've been phil bashford i've been merrick de la fuente and this has been the blood sweat in his podcast vocals 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 vocals, vocals. <laughs>